Welcome to a podcast called Intrepid. I'm Stephanie Carvin, high above the Rideau River, and I'm joined today with a very special guest. I'm so excited about this. I have David Everingham, who is the Vice President and Chief Technology Officer with Ericsson Canada. I don't know if I should say the incorporated part, but Ericsson Canada, um, who's here to give us a great technical briefing on what 5G even is, because we hear so much about it. And it is a, you know, obviously in the news, and we've talked about it on the podcast, but I, I don't think most of us appreciate what it is that we are, in fact, talking about. So I'm so pleased to have you today here on the podcast. Excellent. Well, thanks very much, Stephanie, for the invitation. It's a real pleasure to be here and talk to you today. And I hope all your listeners get something interesting out of this talk. We'll try to demystify a little bit around 5G technology and and what 5G is going to do. And uh, so maybe just I'll uh, introduce myself. Yeah, I wish you would. If you could just introduce yourself. What what even is a CTO? Let's start there. So as a CTO in Ericsson, I I really have two hats. That's the way I'll explain it. Uh, So towards our customers in the market... I have the responsibility to represent Ericsson's full portfolio in the market from a technology and product roadmap perspective. I have the privilege of leading a team of really senior and talented engineers that each are experts in their own domain and bring years of of experience both with the technology and knowledge of our our customers in the Canadian market and, and their networks. So that's one side of the job. The other side is really internally, I'm kind of the, the voice of the customer and the advocate of, of their needs. So I bring back insights through market requirements and uh, you know product enhancements and things that our customers tell us they need and drive that internally to get the solutions to market so that we can help our customers stay competitive. Right. So a little bit more than you know tech support. A little more than tech support. <laughs> right. Fair <laughs> enough. And um, how did you get where you are today? I mean, obviously, I mean, probably most of our listeners have heard that you are uh, maybe the soft, most soft-spoken Australian I've ever heard. But how, uh, how did you get to where you are? So I've actually been in Ericsson for about 20 years. It marked uh, my anniversary 20 years just earlier this month. Happy anniversary. Thank you. And uh, really interesting ride, actually. So background in radio engineering, like many people across the organisation. It's a strong wireless heritage in this company. And uh, had the privilege to work in multiple continents with many of our leading customers, rolling out 3G, 4G, now 5G technology. And uh, that's what brings me here today. Great. Okay, so let's then talk a little bit about Ericsson itself. So, I mean, it's often held up, we, we hear you know, when we're talking about 5G, that there's only a very limited number of countries that can do these kinds of things. So um, what I'm wondering is, what does Ericsson actually do in this space? And we talk about Ericsson being in Canada. What does that actually mean? Exactly. Yeah. So look, I'm really proud to say Ericsson is a global leader in 5G. You know, we contribute to fundamental research and standardization in, in the major bodies across the globe, uh, you know, have done for many years and will continue to do that. Uh, when it comes to 5G, we've had a very strong start out of the gate. You know, we're very proud of the the contracts that we've won and of the networks that are already launched globally that are in live service now. Uh, Ericsson is a, is a partner of many of those operator customers and is really at the forefront of 5G. In Canada, we are a large employer. We have two main R&D sites here. Uh, right here in Ottawa, there's a, 
uh, R&D facility of around 1,500 engineers that are working on radio and, and radio product development. There's also a large R&D centre in Montreal uh, that we've had for many years that support many other parts of the business. And, and we have an office in, in Toronto, which is our main headquarter and sales office for the country. So obviously you're working with the big telecommunications companies or some of them here in Canada, but yeah. like who else are you working with? Like, like I'm kind of curious because you always hear like, well, like who, who do you hang out with when, as a company? So one thing that I think has been really important to understand what 5G can bring is the research uh, that we do through collaborations and partnerships with many industries and also many universities around the world. So in a 5G context, that's been going on for between five and 10 years, I would say, uh, you know, both at a theoretical and then at a prototyping and a development level. And, and we do that so as that we can get a first-hand understanding of what are the end user needs of future technologies. And aside from learning about that, it also informs our own decisions around where to prioritise R&D investments, what products to build at the right time so that we can capture the market. Right. So, like, for example, if I have the Stephanie Carvin Cupcake Factory and I want to take that to, like, faster production, uh, you're coming to me and saying, well, what what do you need? What, are you, what do you anticipate your future needs going to be? What are your needs right now? And then Ericsson's trying to figure out how to make that happen. And, and work through those, those problems. That's right. So... It's funny that you mention a, a cupcake factory. I mean, it's kind of a thing with me, but right, yeah. <laughs> uh, thing to scale up, but we've seen tremendous potential for 5G in manufacturing uh, in particular. The opportunity to unwire the production floor in some industries is a huge productivity opportunity for many. So the promise of 5G to actually go in and allow a production environment to be set up wirelessly is something that's very high potential. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. And so, and I think you mentioned to me just before we started this thing called Encore, um, it's, which is not spelt like you would think Encore was, because I thought maybe you were talking about the lottery, um, which has an Encore thing, but it used, it's, it's Encore, E-N-C-Q-O-R. That's um, right. Right. So, so what is that? So it's a fantastic example of a 5G innovation program here in Canada. So for those that don't know about Encore, the acronym... It is a long one. It's the evolution of networked services through a corridor in Quebec and Ontario research and innovation. And uh, that program has a very interesting setup. There's funding from both the federal, the Ontario and the Quebec governments, as well as the private sector. So Ericsson, amongst four other partners, uh, there's Siena, Talus, IBM and CGI, are all participating in this program to build the testbed that allows uh, SMEs and startups in the Canadian market who have an idea for a 5G use case that need an environment to test that and develop it to come in and have access to a live 5G system and, and prove out what their, their concept is in a, in a prototyping and, and then have access to technologists and, and people that can help them uh, develop on that platform. So that is a fantastic example of something that's happening here in Canada to really promote understanding and use of 5G technology in the future. So it's kind of like I think you know we were talking it's like a it's like a 5G incubator yeah. that you're a part of. Exactly. And um so it kind of lets uh, like all these companies come in and, and play with the 5G to see if you know 
their whatever it is they're working Big on concept, yeah. thrives or if it's going to, you know, destroy that's right. Telecommunications as we know it. Okay. Um, okay, great. So, okay. So we've kind of teased all that out. That's really interesting. But we haven't yet really explained what 5G is at all. And I mean, and, and this is the real kind of reason I was super happy to have you on the podcast. Because when we hear about this in the news, we always hear, okay, 5G is the technology that's going to power the future. Or technology, you know, it's 5G is the 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 next revolution in in kind of how we're going to connect to the internet it's going to power right. the autonomous vehicles and stuff but and it's kind of left there so i'm kind of like okay is it magic um, what is it about 5g that's kind of so different from other forms of networks that we've had before that's a great question there's a few layers to unpack i think in answering that but but let me try so uh you know on one hand when some people talk about 5G, they're really focused on what's happening in adding new spectrum and evolving the radio access part of the network. That's a really important dimension to 5G, for sure. We know that there's increasing demands on operator networks globally from subscriber growth and increased usage on those networks. So spectrum is the lifeblood of a wireless network. Yeah, so can you, this is we the, really need we need five G radio access evolution for that. No can doubt. you just even explain like what we mean by the spectrum and the radio aspects of that? Because um, let's just pretend that I have a multiple degrees in social science and don't understand <laughs> how that even works. Uh, so I, I hate to say it, but it's like a bit of a five G one hundred and one. But um, what do we even mean by that extra spectrum? So any cellular network that's in operation today is uh, operating because the, the network operator has acquired a spectrum license uh, in particular bands to be able to offer their services. Right. The, even as we advance technology, there's only so much capacity we can actually get out of the air interface in the spectrum. So it's necessary to add more spectrum bands to increase capacity of the system over time. And one of the things that 5G is doing is unlocking spectrum that's in uh, new frequency bands that uh, either have been used before but not as efficiently as in 5G or uh, have not really been used for cellular before. So it's, it's adding more capacity to the front end of the network through, through new radio spectrum. So if like spectrum was a cake, we're basically doubling the size of the cake. We're adding to the cake. More, right. layer, more layers to the cake. S sounds delicious. Maybe not doubling. We're, <laughs> we're adding more layers to the cake. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, so, you know, again, so for a generalist audience, so we're, okay, so that's one of the things that 5G does. What, what else is is this so and how is it changing? A, a more important definition of 5G that's worth spending some time on is that of 5G as a network platform. So by that, what we mean is the evolution of a mobile network so that it can serve different users in a more tailored way. Uh, and that itself is maybe still not such a clear answer. And what I'm trying to explain here is in previous generations of wireless, 3G, 4G, for example, largely what was offered to the end user was the same type of experience and the same type of connectivity product. And... It's all hardwired. It's not even so much about being hardwired. It's typically that you you have one network experience that you can deliver to the end user. Right. And the only thing that would really drive variability in that 
is the capability of the terminal or whether they had better or worse coverage. Other than that, the characteristic between your device and the internet was the same for everyone. So to go back to the cake analogy, if you you could offer vanilla cake and that was pretty much it. And you could like maybe crank up the vanilla flavor or reduce it. But other than that, it's just you're just serving vanilla cake. You're just getting the same cake that everyone gets. Right. But if you want to stick with the with the cake analogy for a moment, what we one of the things that we're going to be able to do with 5G networks much more than was possible with previous generations is take a slice of that cake, but make it feel like it's your own whole cake. Right. right? Okay. So, so it's about giving you, as an end user, a tailored experience. For some enterprises and businesses in particular, we can see a future where operators will configure a slice of their network that for them feels like they've got a tailored private network purpose-built for their needs right so you know like maybe the section they have is now chocolate instead of vanilla or you know because that's what that's the product that they're interested in delivering i don't know if this is a good analogy i'm just hungry (laughs) (laughs) so i guess that's i guess that's the point so the the fact is like the idea is um if I'm understanding you correctly, is the idea is that you have, um, rather than just being able to one offer one product or service built, because that's what 4G, 3G was built to do, that this will be an inherently more flexible uh, utility or infrastructure that you can tailor to the different purposes of the different organizations that would use it. That's that's really it. Now, now you're getting into it. I mean, it's the flexibility of the 5G technology standard that will allow the deployment of 5G to be tailored in the ways that it's needed for the services and the use case that it's serving in that particular environment, in that network or in that in that deployment. So the flexibility of the 5G technology is really important because what it's going to allow is operators that deploy 5G networks to do so in a way that addresses the specific needs of their, their business and, and the use cases that they want to offer in market. But then on a global level, what we're creating is a global ecosystem of massive scale, which in turn will drive down the cost of the volume of devices that are being built, will will reduce in unit cost, will see a global ecosystem really flourish because of the flexibility that 5G offers. Well, like, just to go back to what you said earlier, the idea that factories would not ha- could be wireless because of this they they could and then they could like rearrange all their production without having to rewire everything or worry about the maintenance or repair on that that that's one example for sure yeah you, can you give another example yeah so another example that's great that 5g can address in such an effective way is if you think about low cost sensor iot devices so internet of things, of things? well We think of IoT in a few different dimensions. So the one I want to focus on for the moment is the type of IoT device that is typically going to have a very long lifetime in the field, maybe years. It typically has a very low data rate uh, because it's only providing measurements of of some sort of sensor that it's connected to infrequently. And at the end of its lifespan, it may not even be cost-effective to go and recover it. You'll just go and deploy another one. But we expect to see billions of those types of devices in the networks. So to be able to serve you know, with a, with a network platform that has the capability to manage these kind of devices at the same time as managing a mobile broadband type of device, a smartphone or you know, a more advanced 
device with the screen and high-resolution video that can come, as well as other type of mission-critical applications, all in one network platform is what we're, we're talking about. That's the advantage and the flexibility of 5G. So is it that the effect is that you have a system that is able to handle more data faster? More data basically. faster and more data in, a, in an efficient, scalable way. Think about another example where you've got a tremendous amount of devices in the field that are reporting data. It's not really uh, cost-effective to build the network to have to carry all that raw data back to a central point for analytics and processing. What you really want to do, and a 5G system, if we build it in the right way, will allow this to happen, is to collect all that data and pre-process it on the edge and then only carry the intelligence and, and what is useful for the next stage of, of that uh, data in its pipeline to be carried across the network and sent somewhere else. Okay. So it's about doing intelligent stuff where it needs to be done in the network uh, and therefore making it a very efficient platform to run. Right, because you're not running everything back and forth through... As uh, one example. Yeah. Right. And that's really interesting because I've heard 5G described as a software-defined network so that it's different from what's come before in the sense... I mean, we've already talked about the, this in the sense that, you know, wireless factories and things like this, that effectively what 5G would do is run the data where it needs to be run yeah. and then uh, and that wouldn't be done through pipelines but through... I guess I'm going to use the term radio. I'm, that's a guess on my part. No, I think you're onto something, though. You know, the, the, <laughs> that's the, a refreshing. The, that's good. The, <laughs> the, the promise of, of the uh, fact that network functions are moving to more software-based implementations are necessary so that the operators of these networks have the ability to configure their services in an efficient way but then also reconfigure them and build new services in an efficient way as market needs evolve and as customer needs evolve. And, and that comes back to flexibility in the 5G network and being able to build services and do things rapidly. So the idea, yeah. like you said earlier, that this is more like a, like a, almost like a software platform than it is like kind of hard. It's kind of this weird merging of this kind of idea of, of uh, infrastructure as platform mm -hmm. as opposed to kind of like the hard wires, tubes, and things like that that we tend to think about. But all of these characteristics we've been discussing are really about making the value of the network platform more interesting for consumers of the network. So consumers, not so much in terms of actual consumer segment that are, are typically just sort of... Uh, like you, like know, myself, like, like end users of a network today, right? But but the consumer, it may be an enterprise or a business in this case that has a particular need for a network service with their unique characteristics. In five G, it'll be easier for the operators to to serve that up and give them the ability to manage and control their slice of the network and do what they need to do to get their 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 service outcomes delivered. So in just just kind of like as we're getting to this, I guess one question I have is, so infrastructure-wise, what is it that you're, that Ericsson is building that is different from what's come before? Um, like, like we hear a lot about like short antennas uh, versus I, I don't actually know what. Um, so so what, what, from an infrastructure perspective, what is different? So maybe I should start, you know, Ericsson's portfolio, what we offer in terms of products and technology is a full suite of 
solutions for a for, for networks, wireless in particular. And in the 5G space, we've got a full and complete portfolio. So what are we building that's different from 3G or 4G? Yeah. So on one hand, I'd say, well, we're evolving what was there before to support the capabilities of a 5G system. Uh, if you take what we do in the core domain, we are building brand new software that is a 5G and 4G dual mode core that's being built from the ground up as cloud native software. Okay, that wow, will, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> that, that, I mean, we, we, we need this to fulfill you know, a complete solution for the 5G standard, but it's also such that that capability is needed to allow a 5G network to be built with all of the capabilities to live up to the promise of, of 5G use cases that we're trying to realise. So if I understand that correctly, you're taking mm. what currently exists and you're upgrading it substantially. Um, and then you mentioned uh, the core, and we hear a lot about the core in public coverage of 5G. Can you explain what the core is? And I'm sorry I have to keep getting you to explain these things, but in my defense, I'm from Oshawa. <laughs> so it's a really important part of the network infrastructure. Um, some of the critical functions that the core does is subscriber authentication, so checking that the SIM card in the device is valid to access the network and, and get connectivity. It also does things like policy management. So if you go over a quota or you, you, know, you, know, you needed to be throttled or you know, certain policy controls need to be enacted, the core's doing that. But I think most importantly, the broadest definition is it connects the access network, the radio network, to the internet. Right. Okay. okay. So it's kind of the checkpoint. It, it has the gateway function to connect your device through the operator network to the wider internet. Okay, cool. You know, it's what gets you online. Right. So when you, um, so basically this, so you're upgrading the system. Are you having to put in any kind of new kind of infrastructure to build the 5G system? Absolutely. There's, there's technology waves across all domains that are, that are coming together as 5G gets rolled out. So... There's a lot of things that are new in terms of the way we're going to deploy a 5G core system that are different from 4G or 3G before that. Uh, so there's been a lot of work in the industry over the last decade or so to virtualize the core network. Now we're at a point where some operators have stepped into that and uh, seen some of the benefits that they were looking for, but not all. And at the same time, that area is rapidly evolving and the 5G core will be deployed as cloud-native software on a container platform. Uh, so right. stepping beyond virtualization into containers. Okay. I mean, all, all of these things are really around uh, allowing the operators to deploy their networks in a way That's that efficient. makes it more cost-efficient yeah. to run and flexible to deliver the services they want. That's really the focus. That's what it's all about. So I guess kind of a, a final kind of tech question is one of the things we hear is that, you know, there's the potential for the core to change over time. And in kind of your last answer or there to my ridiculous yeah. questions, you talked about how the core is going to be virtualized or how it's being virtualized by these different customers right. that are or consumers that are out there. So is the core that something is it something that evolves mm. over time? For sure it does, but actually whether it's virtualized or containerized is not really the point here. Actually, what's worth thinking about is to deliver on the promise of some of the new 5G services. You know, a lot of the things that we can envisage people will want to use 5G for involve reducing the end-to-end -end latency across the network. So in order to do that, we've got to re-architect the way the network's deployed. 
one of the key things that's allowing that to happen is taking the core gateway function, right. which in a traditional network deployment architecture is tends to be more centralised, and actually pushing that out towards the edge, so much closer to where the end user is situated, deeper into the radio access network. And that helps because it means that as the packet traverses the network to get to the internet, it can reach the gateway a lot sooner because of the way that you've re-architected the core. Right, and so that's what makes it faster. And that's so what like makes it faster. But the, if you shorten the, the time it takes to get a packet from the device to the application server, you've reduced latency. Right, yeah. yeah. So like when I type in cats that whole that packet I send out requesting that information and it's coming back to me is now much closer than what right. it otherwise would have been. That's right. So that's one of the things that will drive reduced latency in, in a 5G system into containers. You yeah. know, in some parts of the world, this will be more important than others. If you take large geographies like Canada and the US and continent of North America, I mean, you've got very big distances to cover between cities and where you may now need to go and deploy more of these gateway functions so that you can reduce end-to-end latency. If you live in a very small, dense, you know, populated dense area, New York City, maybe not such a big deal. Yeah. That's fascinating. That Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah. So one of the things is that we, there seems to be a lot of urgency about 5G. That we, You know, you hear about like the 5G arms race or the 5G race. So, you know, and, and it's important because countries are having to make certain decisions about how yeah. they proceed right now. So, you know, why um, Why is there, we, do we talk about urgency when it still seems that, you know, so much of this is still in development and we're still trying to figure out so much of this? Yeah, it's interesting. I think from a vendor perspective, we've felt a lot of pressure in the last couple of years in particular to get 5G out of the labs and into the field. You know, our, our leading customers globally have been demanding to get 5G operationalized and in market you know, even as early as 2019 in some cases. Yeah. So here we are, it's beginning of 2020, and there's already you know, dozens of networks in live operation. Uh, consumers can go into stores and buy 5G devices in, in some cases. Yes, admittedly, it's a first step into 5G. Those systems don't deliver all of the capability that we've been talking about in the longer term. But 5G is real, that's for sure. So I think it really like is, as in it exists now. It exists now, yeah. It's it's not a, a future concept anymore. Do you guys have like an idea of of a timeline here, like what we might be seeing in the next like two, five, ten years? Yeah, sure. So a couple of things are worth mentioning, I think. So the way five G has been brought to life in its initial incarnation is to deploy it in a way called non standalone mode, and effectively what's happening is 5G radio access is being bolted on to a 4G network. Right. And the terminals, the devices that are compatible with those systems, have a dual connectivity. They're connected to an LTE leg and a 5G NR leg at the same time. And it's all the control signaling that's still managed on the 4G side. And 5G is just actually adding a, a boost for throughput, effectively. So what comes next, and we'll already start to see that in some parts of the world during this calendar year, is 5G in a standalone mode. So that's where the 5G core needs to be deployed. That's a new architecture. We talked about that. That's, that's what will be developed and only released as a containerized cloud-native uh, yeah, software solution. And that system will be able to run without a LTE 
you know, um, technology associated with it. Right. So um, that, that so when you we spoke earlier, you said that, you know, part of the work that's being done now is to upgrade the current systems. So going from kind of like the, that dual to then the, the single, the standalone. The standalone. Right. That's yeah. exciting. It, it is. But I think it's also worth keeping in mind, LTE is not going to go away anytime soon. Right. You know, there's still a lot of advancement that's happening on LTE. Uh, I think... We expect to see that as a technology to still exist for at least another 10 years or more, probably more actually, 15 years. Really? Okay. Um, and in the same space of time, we see that new Gs come along every sort of nine to 10 years. So if we look further out, we can expect to see 6G starting to develop and being, you know, be able to define and articulate what the characteristics of a 6G network should be in, say, the next five to six years and start to see the first 6G systems maybe 10 years from now. I can barely keep up with 5G, so I'm hoping for at least seven to eight because I'm tired. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I guess we've heard a lot about security and 5G systems. So could you maybe talk about some of the security issues that you're trying to work through as a company um, or that, you know, perhaps ones that uh, without naming names that consumer, uh, the consumers that you're working with are concerned with? Yeah. So I think one of the the, the things that we're wrestling with as an industry is, again, to support the speed and flexibility that the customers demand to run a 5G system. We're moving to a mode where software is being delivered on a continuous basis from a development organisation into staging labs, into customer networks. This is happening on an ongoing basis. So the framework around which you check and trust software components that are being pushed from a vendor development environment into a live network is something that needs to have uh, good governance and security around that all steps in that software supply chain. Uh, so we think we have a good handle on, on how to make that work and I think we're getting good feedback from our, from our customers and others that we deal with around the Ericsson processes for the way we handle and deliver software. Um, we also consider that security is really important in the way that both the networks are deployed and operated. You know, we can't solve all the security concerns just by addressing it in standards or just by addressing it in the way we design and develop products. It's also super important in the way networks are are deployed, uh, both in terms of physical and, and, and logical security capabilities. Uh, and the way that they're operated long term. So those last two steps is something that we work closely with our operator customers on. But these are all the dimensions of of the security landscape we're working with. I guess from my supreme non-technological perspective, one of the issues I would think that would come up in, in all of this is that if you are moving to more of a software defined system, are there more opportunities for hacking? effectively by, um, you know, criminal actors, state actors, those kinds of things? Uh, I think there's always those threats, but in particular with 5G, as we were talking before around creating tailored network services for certain users to consume, we also are exposing the network, not locking it down and, and in a controlled way, trying to make it available so the end users have control and can configure their their services as they need. All of those 
ambitions create characteristics that are vulnerable to, to cyber attacks. So right. We definitely have a higher threat landscape in 5G than we did in, in earlier networks because they were effectively locked down from the outside. Right. That's a really interesting point. And, and I guess it's going to take a lot of working with co- uh, consumers of this stuff to, to figure out how to make that work. Exactly. And make sure that it's safe and trustworthy. So, okay, so this is really interesting. We are basically at the end. What I've learned from this, and this is this is partially for my own benefit as much as the listeners, is what I've learned is that basically it's important to think of 5G, at, you know, when we talk about it empowering the next generation of technologies, you, you've done a good uh, idea of explaining why that's the case. It means that um, data is going to get to where it needs to be exchanged and validated faster. It means that a lot of the systems are going to be able to uh, be wireless in the sense that, you know, you can uh, transmit things. It means that uh, there's going to be more spectrum in which to have, you know, connected devices. And it means that more devices can actually be online and figuring out what they need to do in a more efficient way. Do I have that right? Uh, I think that's that's right. And and maybe just to sum it up from my side, you know, a lot of what we're we're working on in in five G is to really help our operator customers increase the value of their networks. You know, it's about making sure that they've got an asset that's not being relegated to being a dumb pipe. Right. And that they can uh, they can actually monetize all the investment that's being made to build out these networks by offering very tailored services, things that are you know uh, you know bespoke for the for the needs of the business or the or the consumer that that requires that connectivity. It's not just a vanilla solution for all and its best effort. Well, thank you so much for coming on and very extremely patiently <laughs> and painfully explaining what how exactly this works because uh, it it's just amazing uh, how the system is going to take place, how it's changing our idea of what critical infrastructures actually are, and then yeah. of course some of the new vulnerabilities that could be introduced as a result of this that you guys have to actually think about confronting. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. Exciting times. Thanks very much for the opportunity. It was a great conversation.